Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome to another episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I'm Julie Sedenko here with relationship expert Leslie Vernick. And today we're going to talk about fear. Now, Leslie, when we hear the word fear, there's usually a negative connotation because obviously no one enjoys feeling afraid, but fear can be a good thing too, can't it? I think it can because it warns us of danger. And so I think that God has hardwired our body to actually see danger before our mind can register it. So I don't know how many of you have either seen a snake or uh, I was hiking and we heard a rattlesnake and, you know, that was enough of a danger to cause our bodies before we even knew mentally that we were hearing a rattlesnake. Uh, The person I was hiking with and I just both jumped back and our bodies warned us that, you know, there was danger ahead. And then after that, when we started to feel a little fear, um, like, was this snake going to come back out and bite us or whatever? So I think that there is real danger, especially in our world today. There's a lot of dangerous situations you can put yourself into or a lot of danger that may come your way. And our body is wired. Uh, We have a part in our body called the amygdala, the back brain, reptilian brain, they call it, that just kind of goes off and, um, you know, warns us that there's danger ahead. And so if your body starts to feel uncomfortable or tense or um, anxious around someone, that may be your body saying to you, that person isn't safe. And maybe cognitively, you don't know why there's a really interesting book out there called the gift of fear in the book, a woman um, walking home from New York city. And this was a while ago, but she had a couple of bags of groceries and she was trying to open up her front door to her brownstone stone in in New York city. And a young man came up to her and said, Oh, here, let me help you. And so he held one of the bags of groceries while she got her key and opened it. And she said, thanks. And she, you know, pushed open her security door and he said, I'll help you carry that upstairs. And, and she felt kind of icky, like, Ugh, you know, I don't want him coming upstairs to my apartment door, but she wanted to be nice and she didn't want to say no. And so she said, okay. And he carried her bag upstairs while she had her key in her hand. And so then he's holding the bag and she says, I'll take the bag. He goes, well, you know, I'll hold it until you get the door open. Trying oh, to be yeah. nice and accommodating. Of course, she opened the door. And once she opened the door, he pushed her in with the groceries, everything fell on the floor and you know what happened next. Yeah. So it's that, you know, she didn't want to seem ungrateful or be mean, but her body was already saying, I don't feel comfortable with this. And so he's giving all kinds of examples in this book that our body is given the ability to feel fear when we should feel fear to see danger ahead. Um, And if we have that feeling, I would rather be wrong and say, nope, that's okay. I'll take it and have him think I'm a little ungrateful or rude than to be right but right too late and on the floor in my apartment being assaulted. And so I think that fear can be a really good thing because I think sometimes as Christians, we negate all fear, like all fear is bad. You're not trusting God. And God has given us a body to sense fear, even before we can logically know we're in danger. However, I have a disease that's called the worst case scenario disease. (laughs) Uh, My kids have named it that disease. And so I have lived with a lot of anxiety and anxiety is a a mimicker of fear. It's not, there's no real danger out there. It's just a lot of what if danger thoughts that create an anxious 
presence in my body. And so I think that kind of fear, fear of um, something bad happening, fear of making a mistake, fear of looking bad, fear of feeling foolish, fear of what if I get rejected, if I try something new or go somewhere, I don't know anyone, all those kind of fears. I ruined, Julie, I ruined my first and only pregnancy. I only had one um, birth child. I had another child we adopted, but I ruined the whole pregnancy because I lived in fear of what might happen. I might have a miscarriage. I might have an early delivery. I might have a a child who's born with the cord wrapped around his neck. He might die in delivery. He might be, have, you know, special needs. He might have sudden infant death. And I mean, the whole thing was a panic of what might happen. And when you live that way, it cripples you. And I was crippled for a long time emotionally because I didn't try things because I was always afraid of what could or might happen. We're afraid to try new things or put ourselves out or speak our truth or do something hard because of the fear of what might happen. We might fail. We might look foolish. We might get rejected. Things might go wrong. Our decision might not be the best one. And so we sort of stay stuck in paralysis of, I don't know what to do when in fact, we sort of know what we want to do, but we're afraid to take that next step. We had a call recently with some of our Conquer members where we discussed uh, decision-making and the fear that comes along with making decisions. And a lot of people made comments that they were afraid of missing out on God's help if they didn't make the right connection. They were afraid because they'd made wrong decisions in the past. So what if they make another wrong decision? Or maybe my husband or someone will ridicule me if it doesn't turn out well and stuck in the what ifs. How do you deal with that fear of making decisions? How I've learned to do that, I didn't always have this tool, but how I've learned to do it is two things. One is I've understood that the absolute best decision that you can make is the right decision. However, the second best decision that you can make is the wrong decision. And the worst decision that you can make is no decision. And so let me say that sometimes, for example, I'm just going to make a real silly illustration. If you're sitting at the crossroads of an intersection and you don't have your GPS on. And I live in a time when you didn't have GPSs. You just had a guess, like, should I go right or go left? I don't know which way the church is or the store is or whatever. And so you have to make a decision. So do I go right? If I go right and, oh, there's a store, I made a right decision. If I go right and I'm traveling down a mile or two and there's no shopping mall and there's no store, that's the wrong decision, right? But what it teaches me is, oh, that was the wrong decision. I can turn around and make a different decision and get to the store. So sitting at the crossroads, making no decision doesn't give me any information. It just keeps me in a stuck place. And so what I would say to people is sometimes the first step is to make a decision, the best decision that you know how to make. And if you get evidence that maybe that wasn't the best decision, guess what? Most of the time you can make a different decision. So let's say you aren't sure that Uh, you should go to this college, but you go and you find out it's an amazing college and you really love it. Or you go to that college and you love the college, but you don't like your major and you're learning from things that you're trying and doing what you like and what you don't like, as long as you're being attentive to that. And you're not just feeling pressured 
to do something because someone wants you to, or because someone says you should, that you're making decisions for yourself and you're letting the decisions themselves teach you things, both good and bad, about what you like, what you don't like, who you are, who you're not, who you like hanging out with, who you don't like hanging out with. And that can be really instructive as you grow up. What if you've made a decision that isn't so easy to change? Like you married a guy who turned out to be a real jerk. So this is where you, you have to shift your internal mindset. So if you married someone who turned out to be a real jerk, here's how it could be a good decision. Now, it's not a good decision for your marriage because obviously you can't sustain a marriage in a good way with someone who's lying to you and cheating on you and hitting you or spending all your money and not telling you. But what you can say is, like one of the women I met at a business conference, she wasn't a Christian and it really stunned me by her answer. When she heard what I do and I work with women in destructive marriage, she goes, oh, I've been there, done that. I was married to a narcissistic sociopath and mm-hmm. it was the best decision I could have made. And she used that word and I'm thinking, tell me more. Like, how was this a good decision for you? She goes, I learned so much about how to set boundaries, how to speak up for myself, how to not be manipulated. I had a master teacher that if I didn't learn those things, I would have been toast. The marriage ended, but I am a much stronger person because of what I went through. Now, that's an amazing mindset shift. Instead of, oh, my marriage is ruined and I'm so stupid for picking the wrong person, I picked a person who was the best teacher I needed in the moment to mature me into the person I am now. And now I don't need to be afraid of finding a new relationship because of what I've learned. Right. And I don't need to be afraid of saying no. And I don't need to be afraid of speaking up. She goes, I was such a accommodating, people-pleasing person. Of course, I married a sociopathic narcissist, but he was the best teacher I needed in order to move out of that place of where I was as a person. And so here, this bad decision for a marriage partner turned out to be a good decision for her personal growth. So good. I know sometimes fear can be a good thing, like we've talked about, But when does it cross the line to where it's becoming a detriment? And what are some red flags to look for in our own life? I mean, maybe we don't even recognize that we're living based out of fear. What are those red flags? I think when it stops us from growing, um, when it stops us from living. um, So people, for example, who are caught by um, the fear of, you know, having a panic attack. And so they become agoraphobic, they stay in their house, they don't ever do anything, they're so scared of feeling those feelings or trying new things or going out in public because they might have a, a panic attack, it shrinks their world. And so when fear starts to control you, when fear starts to be the boss of you, when fear starts to drive your decisions, you're doing things because you're afraid um, of what might happen or what might not happen, or you're not doing things because you're afraid, um, any emotion that we allow in the driver's seat, whether it's fear or anger or even pleasure. I mean, we can make some really bad decisions because it's fun, because we like it. We can spend way too much money. We can spend way too much time doing something and not get some other important work done because it's just fun. And so I think we have to be careful not to, we need to honor our emotions and give them space to talk and inform us about what's going on. But when we let 
our emotions, especially fear, in the driver's seat of our life, um, it usually doesn't look pretty. It usually becomes very restrictive and very um, dark when we're letting fear decide. And that's really where my change began. I began to realize that I didn't do a lot of things. I didn't speak publicly because I was afraid of making a mistake. I was afraid of looking foolish. I was, you know, I would have terrible stomach aches before I would have to go on stage. One time I spoke and I burst out crying in front of the whole oh, audience. No. And it was such an uncontrollable cry. It wasn't just like little tears dropping. It was like a boo-hoo-hoo kind of cry that oh, I'm never going to do this again. And, you know, it, so you get, so where fear is, being the boss of you. Fear is controlling your body. Fear is controlling your decisions. Fear is controlling what you do and, and where you go and where you don't go and, and what you restrict yourself to. Um, I didn't, I, I was publicly humiliated for something that I spoke at one time by some very conservative Christians that didn't like what I had to say. And because of that, I let fear decide, oh, I'm never going to write again. I'm never going to speak again. That was foolish. That was saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't I don't want to be criticized. I don't want to ever feel bad. And so I'm not going to try new things. I'm not going to experiment. And so I really began to have to deal with fear as something that could inform me. Like, is this dangerous or was I going to let it control me? And so I really had to make that decision that fear was not going to be the boss of me. Fear was not going to control me. Fear could inform me. This is dangerous or be cautious here. And I could, and I would, but it wasn't going to make the final decision for me. And that was so freeing because if we really trust God and we're not just trusting circumstances of life, if we're really trusting God, then when we make a decision that in our human opinion looks like the bad decision, like marrying a narcissistic sociopath, definitely looks like the bad decision, right? But even in a non-believer's mind, she turned that into it was a good thing that it happened to me, right? And so when we really understand God's plan for our life, when something puts us in a scary situation or when something puts us in some place that's hard and we're afraid we're gonna fail or we're gonna afraid we're not doing it right or we're afraid that we're gonna look stupid or we're afraid that people will criticize us, maybe that's something we need to get over. And that's something that we need to leave that outcome to God. You know, I think of Esther, in the Bible, Queen Esther. I mean, she was a, a woman who as an adolescent was captured by soldiers to become a concubine, a sex slave in the king's harem. What a horrible life. She didn't decide that. That was decided for her. But when she was in that place, she decided, I'm going to learn what I need to learn <laughs> in order to, to be the best at my job. And apparently she did because she became the queen. The king liked her so much. And so now she's in this really high level position that looks all cushy, but she finds out that one of her king's advisors manipulated him into sign a law that the Jews would be all executed. And she was a Jew. He didn't know that, but she did. And she knew that she had to speak up in order to save her people. And so she had to go into his presence uninvited, knowing that he had the power to kill her in that moment because no one was allowed to go in the king's presence, including the queen, if they weren't invited. So Esther didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but she walked by faith in her decision. And the outcome could have been death, and that's where you have to trust God. And so I think this is what I have learned, is that my decisions are going to be the best I can make with the wisdom I have, trusting God for the outcome. 
Like if I confront someone on their sin, I believe that's a good decision. I'm not going to live in fear of what they think of me or whether they reject me. And if they reject me, that's more information about making good decisions. This person isn't as mature as I thought. They're not one of my friends anymore. These are good decisions that help me learn more about me or them or life. And I trust God to teach me those lessons without worrying about, oh, it didn't turn out the way I thought it should. A lot to think about because I think sometimes you can take fear and let that inform you. But I think so many people take fear because something bad happened in the past. So my decision is I'm not going to do that again. And that would be the wrong way of thinking. And like, for instance, you had that bad experience on stage. So now you're not going to speak again. That's not the right kind of informing. What would be a better way of thinking through those kind of things? Maybe I was hurt by the church in the past. So now I'm not going to church anymore. What would be a better way helping, helping people to face those fears or deal with them better? Yeah. So, so part of it is listening to our own internal self-talk, because I think that if we don't think we can handle being hurt, like we're, we're, we're so delicate or so fragile or so uh, unable to handle hurt that we've got to live in a bubble, then, then that's what we have to live in, but it's a pretty small bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the solution isn't to avoid all hurt. Maybe the solution is how do I learn to handle hurt? How do I learn to recognize unsafe people? How do I learn to speak up for myself instead of just being a victim of people who are stronger than me verbally? So those would be good life lessons to let your fear inform you like, oh, I'm afraid of being hurt. Just like if I'm afraid to ride my bike or I'm afraid to write a book, what might I do to help myself? A really good question, we did this exercise in our Conquer Conference is to ask the question, because. So I'm afraid because, because I might make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, I'm afraid because, because that would make me look bad. And if I look bad, that makes me afraid because, you know, what might happen? Well, then people will think I'm stupid. And if people think I'm stupid, what does that mean? Well, if they think I'm stupid, they're not going to want to work with me and they're not going to want to be with me. And if, they, if nobody wants to be with me, what does that mean? Well, that means I'll be all alone. And what does that mean? That means I'm worthless. So when you kind of ask yourself these questions, you can kind of get to the root issue of what your story is about, oh, people have to accept me and people have to love me and people have to think I'm doing okay or else I'm worthless. Well, is that really true? Is that yeah. really true? My husband had a health issue early in our marriage, which contributed to my worst case scenario disease problem um, in that he was diagnosed with cancer. And so, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was pregnant at the time. So that didn't <laughs> just add it to my big oh, block no. of anxiety. But, <laughs> you know, so what does it mean? You know, we had no life insurance. I'm pregnant with our first child. He just gets diagnosed with cancer. That means he might die. Okay. What does that mean? That means I'll be all alone. What does that mean? I'll have to raise this child by myself. And what does that mean? I'll have to work full time. And what does that mean? I'll have to be able to support our family. And so what does that mean? It means I better stay up to snuff with my skills. I better stay up to, you know, my license keep intact because it might mean I have to go back to work at some point. Right. And so I did that. I just made sure that I had my license up to date and I always stayed in touch with my profession so that if I had to do that, I wasn't so afraid. I could do it. 
I didn't want to right away, but I could if I had to. And so I think kind of getting to the root of what your biggest fear is about that, whatever it is. So I'm afraid I might cry again if I speak, you know, so what would be so bad if I cried again? Well, it's embarrassing. And so, so what does that mean? It means, you know, people won't listen to me. People will disrespect me. Well, actually what happened in that scene that I boohooed myself is actually was very effective to the audience. It was totally humiliating to me, but I was speaking about um, for the for a crisis pregnancy center and having people from the church open their homes to unwed mothers. And it was Christmas time. And so it was talk about Jesus and there was no place for him to go. And how would, you know, what if we were, you know, housing a mom who had a, a, a baby that God was going to use in a powerful way and, you know, not to be the Messiah, but, and I'm like, just crying my eyes out trying to give this talk, but it was very effective for them yeah. to feel what that might feel like to be all alone and have no support. And they had lots of volunteers. So the results were good at my personal humiliation, but <laughs> God used it in a powerful way, which I would have not volunteered for in any stretch of the imagination, but, but I was willing to be used. And afterwards, you know, I had to like scrape my ego off the floor um, and just trust God in that. But that might've been a good thing. To mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. to have our egos yes. fall to the floor. Yes, and say, you, yeah, I'm not in control of all of this, God. You are. Your cancer story reminds me uh, a number of years ago, my husband had this little growth by his nose. And I kept telling him to go to the doctor, which most of us who are listening know what his response was <laughs> to not go to the doctor. And it kept growing and growing. And I'm like, dude, you've got like a second nose going on there. You know, I, I said, I'm no doctor, but that's cancer. Go to the doctor. And he would not. And later he told me he was afraid to go to the doctor. To me, it didn't make sense. It was like, you obviously have cancer, but to him, it's like, if I can ignore it, then I don't have cancer somehow. And, and he knew it didn't make sense. And it wasn't until his, his father came to visit from California and he was looking across the room. He's like, son, what is on your nose? And I kind of was like, thank you. Would you please tell him to go to the doctor? And, and his dad got him to go and he had basal cell carcinoma and it was severe. It had, it had grown. He had it removed. And ever since then, he realizes that was a really stupid thing to do. And he goes to his follow-up appointments and he's much more careful, but fear completely took over him. Letting fear decide can lead us down paths that are unhealthy, like avoidance and denial and shutting our eyes because we don't want to face the truth. But God calls us to face the truth, even hard truth. And so when we let fear keep us from walking in the truth, and we let the enemy's voice you know, scare the bejeebies out of us. I don't think that's a healthy way to live. And that's why the Bible has more verses to say about fear than pretty much anything else that, you know, do not be afraid. And when you are afraid, you know, trust God. And if we really do trust God, if we really do trust him with our life, with our well-being, with our resources, whatever they may be, family, friends, money, health, all those kind of things. If we really do trust him, that he knows what he's doing, that he will work all things out for our good, not our pleasure or even our happiness sometimes, but for our good, for our maturity, um, then we really don't have anything to be afraid of because whatever happens, it's painful, but it's also for our good. We're learning something in it. And if we can know that and trust that deep within our soul, then we really don't have to live in fear. It doesn't mean we won't feel fear, 
but we don't have to live in fear like I used to. Um, and I'll tell you, since I really got that straight in my mind, I don't even have worst case scenario disease anymore. I don't think that way anymore. I certainly can think that that could be a possibility, but I don't live in fear of that possibility because I know if that possibility happens, I'll deal with it because God will be there with me and we will go through it together. And even if it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which I would not want to do at this point in my life, but if it happened, it happened. And so I think not fearing whatever those scary outcomes are, which by the way, with my son, I mean, he's close to 45 years old and he's never been in a car accident. He's never broken a bone. He's never had a serious illness. I mean, all those fears that I had that might happen when he was a baby never happened. And I wasted a ton of energy worrying about something that never happened. And so now I'm at the place where, Hey, can I just live my life and live my life as freely and as beautifully and as fully as God calls me to? And if something uglier, hard, or difficult, or sad happens. And I trust that I have the capacity and God will give me what I need to deal with it. Okay. So I'm going to be really vulnerable here. My sister was killed in a car crash in 1996. Just the two of us had gone the week before to visit our grandparents and had this wonderful time, hugged her in the airport. I flew back Mm -hmm. here. She flew back home. And seven days later, she was gone. And it was the shock of my life. I can't even tell you. And I did not deal with it very well. I was very alone in a state where nobody knew her. So nobody grieved with me. It was, it was really, really brutal. Well, here I am all these years later. And now my parents are 78 and 76. And honestly, Leslie, I have a fear. I know I'm going to lose them. You know, I don't know that it's going to be tomorrow. But I'm terrified of feeling that grief again, because it was so painful. And I'm terrified of, you know, I'll, I'll pull up my Facebook memories, and my dad will make these funny comments, and it'll literally go through my mind. And after he's gone, it's going to be really hard to read that. How do you deal with those feelings, those fears, if you have been through something so tragic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when someone dies young and unexpectedly, I think there's, is a different feeling than when they've lived a long life and they are ready to go meet the Lord. My dad's 93 and he's at a place where he's ready. My mom, when she died last year, she was ready. It doesn't mean you miss them less, but it, I think it is a different feeling than when someone dies young and unexpectedly, tragically, but how does this fear help you? It does not. It does not. And so to be able to say, wait a minute, I am spending energy because fear takes a lot of energy, right? Yeah. I am spending my energy doing something or thinking something or fearing something that is going to happen someday. I am going to lose them someday, but there's nothing I can do to prevent that. So what you're most afraid of is the feelings that you felt with your sister. Yes. Is that that right? Yes. And what is most scary about that? I think I, because I spiraled down a very dark black hole and I did not know how to handle that grief. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I was going to Bible college at the time and I got a lot of Romans 828 thrown at me, which was probably the least helpful thing at that time. And I just don't want to feel that pain. Now, 
I also, at the same time, I actually lost three family members that one school year. So in addition to my sister's death, two weeks later, my grandmother got diagnosed with lung cancer and I became her caregiver. And that led to some issues where family wanted this and other family wanted that. And so that fear of that happening again helped me tell my parents, please have a trust because I said, I don't want to fight with my brother when it comes to your end of life care. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I think the fear has been positive in that, mm -hmm. but the fear of feeling those emotions again is a very negative part of my thinking. And I, I truly don't know how to change that thinking. Mm -hmm. So when you know that you can handle something, even if you don't want it, it'd be like, I hate the flu. I hate throwing up. I hate when I'm, you know, in that place, I don't fear it because I know that I will get through it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I do what I can to prevent it. But if I got the flu again and was vomiting for a few days and couldn't eat and had a pounding headache and whatever, I know that I will get through it. Is there anything about that piece of grief of saying, yes, it's unpleasant, it's hard, but I got through it and I will get through it. Is there any part of you that can help the part of you that's saying, oh, I don't want to do that again. Of course you don't want to do it again, but it's likely that you will, that you will do it again. Your friend's going to die. Your parents are going to die. You're going to, you're going to go through grief again. Can you handle it? I think that's the fear. I don't know. Mm -hmm. The fear is that I don't feel like I handled it well in the past. I really struggled with those emotions. I lived in it constantly for several years. I felt fear of people dying or whatever. And so that's my fear is, is that going to happen again? So how do I learn to handle those emotions or think that I can do it? How did you handle the emotions when you had breast cancer? That was different for me. That was I think because it happened to me and I might be the one that dies. Not that that's okay with me, but it's like, I can handle it if it happens to me. I have a will set up for my kids and I have, not that I wanted that to happen, but I also, I, I felt like I had some, I think, you know what I think it is, Leslie? I think it's because I had some control. I could research, I could be proactive. I could make decisions about my treatment. I could do this and that, but if God forbid, one of my kids, you know, my oldest just started driving. If she gets in a crash, I have no control. Mm -hmm. Maybe that has something to do with it. I think that one of the things that would help someone who's struggling like you are, Julie, is to learn that you can handle your emotions, that your emotions aren't the boss of you, whatever they are, and that you can do some things when you feel that low, you can get help you can get support, you can go to grief share, you can journal, you can rest, you can take some time off of work, you can honor your feelings and pace yourself into moving back into life when someone who you love is taken from you suddenly, but to live in fear of not being able to handle something and just staying stuck there would be more helpful if you said, how do I need to learn to handle it? How can I begin to prepare myself because the reality is your parents are up in age mm -hmm. and they are going to be dying. And so how do I prepare myself to accept that I can't decide for them when they're going to die and neither do they just right. like your sister didn't decide. 
right? And so how do I mentally get to a place of acceptance that this is going to happen and understand that I will grieve, but I don't have to lose my mind or my sanity when I grieve. Or I don't have to fall apart every time I see something that was theirs. That was hard for me. Or even smelling flowers for a long time reminded me of a funeral. And mm -hmm. I don't love being sent flowers to this day because of it. I'm doing better now, but I do believe that I let that experience really have a long lasting fear of death mm -hmm. of somebody dying. And that that's something, even as we're talking through this topic that I realize I need, need to work on myself. And so one of the things that we teach in our group is that probably the biggest way to conquer fear is walk towards what you fear. Instead of trying to run away from it all the time, walk towards it whether it's just in your mind, you know, so how do I face my fear? Cause it's like a boogeyman in your head and in your spirit. Yes, very right? much and, so. and fear becomes that boogeyman. What if, what if, what if, oh my, I can't, I can't handle, I can't handle it. So if you know, you can handle it, not that you want to handle or that you like it, but that you can handle it, that you will handle it, that there will be resources for you to manage this. Then there is, I mean, it's still unpleasant. It's still sad. It's still hard. It's still sucks that you lose your parents or you lose someone you love. But if you know that you will get through it, then the boogeyman's voice isn't so powerful anymore. It's just an icky thing to feel for sure. Mm -hmm. But you're not like, oh my gosh, this is going to take me two years. You don't know that. You don't know that, right? You were a young person in a town that didn't, you didn't have support, all of those kind of things you had mm -hmm. grandmother to take care of as well. You know, you had a lot going on. Maybe you won't have that this time. You're a different person now. Very and so much. don't, transfer an old experience to a current experience that I don't know how that's that learned helplessness. I don't know what to do. You do know what to do now. Okay. And you can do it. And so when you recognize I can do these things, I can get through this. I would prefer not to, but if I had to, I would, and even practicing a little bit in your head. Yeah. I think that's really helpful to not take, how did you say it? to not take the experience of the past and transfer it to the present. And I think that's very much what I've been doing. And I need to really be aware of that, that that's what's happening. And uh, hopefully our listeners, that can help them as well. If they're taking something that happened in the past and transferring it to what is inevitably going to happen in the future. And even, even practice little things like walking through a rose garden and smelling the flowers and saying, this has nothing to do with death. It has something to do with life. Mm. Look at how these roses are beautiful and they smell so fragrant. And yes, I smelled flowers at a funeral, but I'm smelling flowers in a garden and I can smell flowers in a florist shop and I can smell flowers in my base in the kitchen. And these are different places that flowers are. You know, I actually had a really good positive experience recently. My oldest daughter's a senior and she had a job shadow experience or internship at a plant shop, believe it or not. And the one thing I was given after my sister's funeral was a plant. And I was so insanely focused on this plant that I was going to have this plant for forever. This was going to be from Holly's funeral and I'm going to take care of this. Well, I overwatered the crap out of that thing and I killed it. I mean, it got root rot. It died. And I, to this day, and that was in 1996, have never had a live plant again, because I told myself I kill plants. So I was visiting my daughter in the plant shop. 
I started telling the owner of the plant shop this story and I started bawling and I was just so embarrassed. And I ended up buying a plant there, my first plant forever. And I decided I'm not going to live like that anymore. And I've got this beautiful plant in my house now that's thriving. And so I guess I am making more progress than I give myself credit for. And this thought that I can take care of a plant versus I kill plants. Yes. Right. That's a very different thought. And so what would be, I can handle it versus I can't handle it. You know, there's a difference between not liking handling and I get it. Yeah. But I can do things I don't like. I don't have to be afraid of it. Very good. Where would you suggest people get support if they're realizing that fear is playing too big a part in their lives? Well, certainly, you know, counseling support, coaching support is available. Um, if you're stuck in a grief, grief share, you know, a grief group, um, if you're stuck in other kinds of things, I think the most important thing is to know that you're not alone. Because when you're in a dark place like that, you feel so shamed or so weak or so stupid or so, you know, subhuman, whatever you, you know, you've made this horrible mistake or you can't figure it out, or you're so depleted or so depressed or so anxious that you feel really bad about yourself. And so what happens when you get support, and it may not necessarily even be professional support, because sometimes when you get professional support, you still feel like, you know, you're the needy one and they're the expert, but even, you know, we have a lot of peer-to-peer -peer support in our groups uh, in Conquer and in some of the coaching groups that we do. And it's just so refreshing, just like we're having this conversation to know, oh, like, yeah, I'm not alone or other people feel the same way I do or other people struggle with the same things I do. I'm human, they're human. We all struggle with fear, different things we fear, different ways we cope, but we all struggle with it. That's why the Bible talks so much about fear. And it really is important for us to realize that we're not alone because once you you realize you're not alone and we've de-shamed being human and having problems and ev everybody has them and everybody struggles with them and everybody gets embarrassed and everybody fails everybody does not just everybody sins but everybody struggles um, i think it's all of a sudden empowering to realize wow you struggle i struggle how do you solve this. Like yesterday we did a Facebook live on how do we heal from a broken heart? And the wisdom from the group uh, that was on Facebook was, was powerful. Incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. And so it wasn't just me as the expert or Diana as the expert sharing it. It was one another saying, I had a broken heart. I had a broken heart. I had a broken heart. Here's what I did to help myself. And now you are getting support, whether it's next to you support or just informational support that says, you are not alone. You are not defective for feeling this way. You are not bad for having a broken heart. You haven't not trusted God because you're grieving so hard, right? Mm, right. And that can be freeing from the fear monster or from the shame monster that says, what's wrong with me about this? Nothing, nothing. I'm human. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And even though he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he sobbed. Jesus sobbed. It says he cried. Because he was sad over the death of Lazarus and he was sad for Mary and Martha and their grief because death was never meant to be. And so understand that this is a hard time for people when they experience grief or fear, or other strong emotions, and we need to validate them. We need to support you in them, but we don't want to let them 
be the boss of us, fear, whatever it is. Now, temporarily, they might be just like the flu might be the boss of us when we have the flu, yeah, yeah. right? So they might be temporarily in control because they're telling you, we need to rest. We need our body to regroup before you can do anything else. So they sort of paralyze you in the moment. And that's okay, as long as you're taking care of yourself to get beyond that moment. That's so good. Thank you so much for helping me walk through that. And I hope it's helpful to listeners that I know so many of them have experienced grief. And so I hope that was helpful, but is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners on this topic of fear? Yeah, I think pay attention to your thoughts. I mean, if, you know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 55, three, 55, two, my thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. And so if you are a fearful person, if you have what I've called worst case scenario disease, and you're living in a lot of anxiety, pay attention to your thought life. And Paul says this in beautifully in Philippians four, six through eight, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And in the future, he says, whatsoever things are good and true and noble and right and just let your mind dwell on these things. Um, I think that we can feed our thought life a lot of anxious things. We can watch the news. We can, you know, worry about a lot of things. We can, you know, have this worst case. You know, my daughter would drive. She started driving. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what uh-huh. if she gets in a car crash? What if her tire blows and some weirdo comes to her door and offers, I mean, all the worst case things that you could think of, I thought of them all. And so while she was out driving, having a great time, I'm home being a nervous wreck because I'm thinking about all the bad things that possibly could happen to her. And I had to really stop that. I had to stop doing that because she was fine. I was a miserable wreck. And then I didn't want her to go out. I didn't want her to drive. I would you know, be controlling and, and critical because I was scared. And so to really say, wait a minute, if I think that way, I'm going to feel anxious and I'm going to have a miserable night. I don't have to think that way. I can change the channel. Just like if you were watching a scary movie at night and you were starting to feel afraid, you wouldn't beat yourself up. You wouldn't say, oh, what's wrong with me? I feel so afraid. You'd say, I got to turn this off. Yeah. I don't want to watch this anymore because it's making me feel upset. I'm going to turn on I Love Lucy or something funny, or I'm going to turn it off and listen to praise and worship music. So the Bible tells us we must discipline ourselves to change the channel when our mind is focusing on worrisome and fearful things. And so I think that can be a really important strategy that people just do that. They say, I'm aware that I am feeding my mind full of worst case scenarios. What if we have a nuclear war? What if Russia invades us or what if us goes to war with china or whatever is in the news lately you know what if my college age kids get all the stuff that's in the news that could create all kinds of worry and anxious fearful thoughts we have to say god you are in control if i let my mind dwell on what might happen i'm going to drive myself nuts so changing your thoughts is not as easy obviously as just changing the channel on the tv some of these thoughts we've thought for so many years that they're absolutely automatic. How do you go about retraining yourself to think differently? I I think you're right that we have habit patterns. So I had the habit pattern of thinking of the worst case scenario. So once I recognized that I do it or I'm in it, then I do change a channel. So I'll say, okay, what are five things I could be grateful for? And I'll just write them down. 
or I might be like grumbling and complaining about something, you know, and, um, you know, whatever it is, like somebody didn't call me or somebody didn't do what I wanted them to do. And I'm all focused on that. And then I recognize I'm getting myself worked up over something that's true, but I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel all aggravated. I don't want to feel all upset. So then I'm going to say, okay, what's good in my life right now? What's working right now? What can I be grateful for? How is God at work in this situation, even though I don't see it? And I'm intentionally feeding my mind different ways to look at this so that I don't get stuck in this scenario of poor me, or this isn't fair. Why me? All that, which leads me to more crabbiness, but anxious thoughts like, oh, what might happen? This is bad. I'm going to look bad. I'm going to feel embarrassed. I'm going to get humiliated. I'm going to fail. All those kind of things. Hey, if that happens, I'll deal with it. God's going to, you know, use my life as he sees fit. And I'm going to trust that process. And if I fail, he will use that for good. I'm not going to be anxious about that. So I have to talk to myself like that often, very intentionally, because I had a very strong habit pattern. And the more that I do that, the more naturally it's becoming. So that's kind of how you handled when your daughter was out driving, you recognized your thoughts and then kind of talked yourself through it. Is that right? So I recognized that I was making myself miserable by my thought life. Nothing was happening. There was no accident. There was no flat tire. There was no reality to it. It was all in my head, but I, my body was scared and anxious because of what I was feeding in my head. And you can do that. I mean, just think everybody who's listening to think about the worst thing that could happen to your kid. Your kid gets kidnapped or, you know, whatever. Just thinking about it makes you feel upset. Just yeah. thinking about it creates that anxiety in your body, right? So our thoughts are very powerful and God has wired our thoughts to affect our emotions. So if they're affecting your emotions in ways that don't match with reality, right? I mean, it's one thing if it's matching with reality and your child is being kidnapped, but if it's not true and you're just thinking it might happen, um, understand that your body is reacting as if that's reality. And so you have to work on changing the channel. That's one thing you can control. You can't control reality. So if something out there is really happening, that's bad, feel your feelings. But if you're creating those feelings because of your imagination, right. And your imagination is creating those scenes for yourself. You can change that channel. You just have to work at it. And we're called to do that. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Guard your heart above all else. It is the wellspring of life. And we are changed by the renewing of our mind. And so it's our responsibility to pay attention to what we're thinking and change those thoughts when we need to. Such a good challenge. Anything else that you want to add on the topic of fear? Yeah, just that people would not beat themselves up for having it. That's why I think it's so refreshing to hear from other people who say, yeah, I was captured by anxiety my whole life. My, my family has had a history of anxiety and, and, and depression. And so to realize that this is a normal part of our humanity, sometimes we get a genetic bad card dealt to yeah. us on some of those things. And instead of just giving into all of that, just like if you had a, a bad genetic deck with cancer history, you probably would be more intentional about eating right and exercising and doing what you could to not set some of those genes off by smoking or other things that might lead to more cancer. And the same way with, with mental health issues or anxiety issues, if you know that that's your, your kind of default mode, I think it's really important to say, Hey, what do I need to do? I need to be in the nature. I need to think more positive thoughts. I need to be intentional about being grateful and 
remembering all the good things in my life because my mind can naturally default to the worst case scenario and more of a pessimistic negative outlook on things. And that serves me well at times. I'm a great diagnostician. I can tell what's wrong with everything. <laughs> and I'm me usually too. right, right? Yep. But it can lead to a lot of misery too, if that's all you're focusing on and fear. So to be able to change your thought life and to work on that is powerful. And it's it's God what God calls us to. And so that's part of the maturity of learning to think maturely. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. And when I became a man, I learned to think like a man. And so learning to train our thinking and God calls us to train our thinking so that we're thinking things that are true and right and good and not just having vain imaginations in our head. You know, Leslie, I have to give you credit because I know tech is a big fear of yours and you don't like it. You don't understand it. It's not your thing. And yet this business of yours, man, you've got to deal with a lot of tech, especially going live. You just did an entire three-day conference with our Conquer members where there was so much tech, it wasn't even funny. And I've seen you just time and time and time again, get on live in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and speak and the tech doesn't go right. And you face that fear all the time and deal with it pretty well, even when it goes wrong. And even when it's not your fault and somebody like me or someone else screws it up, uh, you've been gracious and, and dealt with that fear. So you've been a, a good example. And that I know that might seem small to some people, but I, I don't know that it really is. You're right. And, you know, and I don't do certain things because I don't, I don't know how, and it feels hard and, and, and I don't feel it's important to learn, but the things that are important to learn or the things that are important to accept that they don't always work out the way you want them to. And so you show up. And I think it's a good lesson for all of our listeners that life, whether it's tech or other stuff, driving to the airport on time doesn't always work out the way you planned, right? And, and you get traffic jammed or you get a flat tire or you get a ticket and you miss your airplane or whatever happens. And to be able to understand that these are life lessons that God is putting in our life to teach us to let go of our desired outcome and everything. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have goals. I desire everything to go well, technically. Like yesterday, our Facebook live, we went on the wrong channel. We were on the conquer channel instead of the empowered, you know, enriching the relationship channel. It goes wrong sometimes. And to be able to flex with that without getting, like my friend says, your knickers in a knot all the time. Well, that's why I couldn't <laughs> find you at first because I thought it was my fault. No, I was on the wrong channel. Okay. <laughs> I was panicking thinking, oh shoot, I can't find them. So isn't yep, that no, funny? it wasn't your fault. It was, uh, well, somebody programmed us the wrong way and then we didn't notice and we just went on the wrong channel. So okay. but it happens. It but does. I think this is so freeing to say stuff happens and can I deal with it? You know, going back to the big biggies, this is a little stuff, but some people can't even handle the little stuff that goes wrong in their life yeah. or fear the little stuff that goes wrong. Like, oh, I'm not going to get to the airport in time, or I'm not going to get my plane, or I'm not going to get here. I'm not going to do this. I'm, okay. Maybe not. You can deal with it. You can deal with it. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you can learn to deal with it, right? You can learn to, that's what God wants you to do. Cause life isn't going to always go your way and people do die and things do go wrong. And you can deal with it. God tells you, you can deal with this. Is it hard? Yes. Are you going to be sad? Yes. Are you going to be afraid sometimes? Yes. And you can deal with it. And I think I'd just like to close with this. 
Sometimes we fear our feelings and we still do the right thing. And that's an amazing thing. We call this in our group, our big circle. And so if I can leave our listeners with one thing to work on, if you develop your virtues, virtues, meaning what are the character qualities that are most important to you to embody as a person? And so for me, uh, wisdom, humility, courage, those are really important character qual generosity. Those are really important character qualities that I want to embody. Now, if I want to be courageous and brave, what do I do when I feel afraid? I move forward and I do what I need to do, or I'm going to feel bad about myself because I wasn't courageous. I didn't speak up for that person. I didn't correct that pastor when he was counseling someone in the wrong way. I didn't do it in a good way. I didn't do it at all because I was afraid he wouldn't like me. I was afraid he was going to reject me as a woman speaking into his life. All the things that I could be afraid of. If your kid was being kidnapped, of course you would be afraid. And I hope you also would be courageous enough to jump on their hood of their car and beat their window out if you had to, right? because that's what would make you feel like a good parent. And if you let fear decide in that moment, like all the teachers who have acted brave during school shootings and have even lost their lives protecting yeah. their children, they acted brave, they were terrified. You can still act the way you wanna act as a good person that makes you proud even when you feel your emotions, even strong emotions. If you have identified what's important to you as a person, your values and your virtue. And so don't let fear decide how you're going to be any more than you would let lust decide how you're going to be. Mm -hmm. We all feel lust. We all feel sexually attracted to the people who might not be our spouse at times. We don't let that decide for us how we're going to behave, I hope. And when we do allow that to decide, we usually feel horrible about ourselves and wreck our relationships that are important to us. And so if we can learn emotions are our informers, they are not our deciders. That can be really great because when you let anger decide, often you can say some really ugly things. Yeah. They're not in alignment with who you want to be as a godly woman or as a good person. When you let lust decide, when you let fear decide. And so really don't just work on your thinking, work on your virtues. Who is it that you want to be and how do you want to show up? And when you think about that, then if I want to be a godly woman of wisdom and my emotions get the best of me, I'm not living in alignment with who I want to be. If I have my emotions... I can still be a godly wise person and I can deal with my emotions and control them so that I show up in the way I want to show up. And that's really important. That's so good. That big circle is a powerful, powerful tool. I've even made the big circle with my kids and sat down and talked to them when they're dealing with bullying and everything. It's a very powerful tool. Yeah. Otherwise we're just reacting out of our emotions and our thinking and that we need to deal with those and learn how to manage those, but that's not the biggest part of who we are. And so when Paul says, don't let anger control you, well, what part of you is there that doesn't do that? It's your big self, your, your true self, the person that God calls you to be as a mature self. What are your values and virtues of who you want to be and how you want to show up in this world? Even if you have sad feelings, even if you have angry feelings, how do you want to express those? You get to decide that, but you don't even think about it if you're not in touch with who you want to be. Thank you so much, Leslie. You're so welcome. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to lesliewernick.com for more resources. If this show was helpful to you, please subscribe and share. And we'd love your honest rating and review. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.